we're at a tipping point as the church. Either we're about to enter into a spiritual winter we've never experienced in our country's history, or we're going to actually enter into a renewal and revival we've never seen in our country's history. But either of those options, you need profoundly called people that are clear. Welcome to another episode of the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. We are halfway into summer. We have been enjoying the heat, enjoying the sun, enjoying our break. How has it been for you and your family, Jason? Time together with the kids? It's so good. It, um, You know, I'll just say this, that as well, as much as I'm excited about things opening up, the sense that we can gather, restrictions are being lifted in BC and across Canada. I got to say, it like it's really kind of raining on my parade, though, because if we could have just had a couple more months of just online church, could pre-record that, go on vacay, but that's affecting that a little bit. But I'm not complaining, actually, because still getting to have some time away with the fam and couldn't be more excited to start worshiping together in the same room. For my church, Leash, we started mm-hmm. in September 2020. We've never yeah. met together the church community. So it's like electric, I like tears, everything. It's just the best. Wow, I love that. And then for us in our church, Michael and I had one Sunday and then closed the doors. So it's that's right. such funny, both of us in our situations. It's like so cool to be gathering together again and just seeing what God's going to be doing this fall as we head into that. So awesome. Yeah. And I know, listen, you've heard this before, all the listeners, but we just love pastors. Like that's the heart of CCLN is not everyone in your city loves pastors, but at least you know on this podcast, you're amongst friends. We care about you. We believe in you. And we want to continue to find thoughtful ways to support and serve you. And so please don't hesitate to reach out to our team if we can be praying for you and connecting you with other resources. And we'd love to hear from you. That's a really big thing for us. And one of the ways that we can help and support is we've been putting together this monthly newsletter where we kind of pull some of the best resources online that we can find, whether it's courses or articles or books or resources. And uh, our August newsletter is coming out really soon. And we're going to provide the best stuff we can to help you think and pray about the fall. And so if you haven't subscribed to that uh, resource, go to ccline.ca. You can subscribe there and it'll come right to your inbox every single month. And before we get into today's episode, we wanted to let you know that we have another special church leader story to share with you today. At the end of the episode with our friend Anne, she had an opportunity to connect with Chantel and Andrew Beresford from Serve City Church in Toronto to hear about their story and their ministry together. God has raised so many faithful couples like the Beresfords in the church in Canada, and we just hope that their story truly encourages you. These stories are like, one of the favorite things that we're doing right now. I just love it so much because this is what's true. There are thousands of dynamic things happening across Canada in the church. Mm -hmm. And some of them are in small towns. Some of them are in big cities, but they're unheard of. And I feel like we'd be winning if we could help profile these different stories. And so as a listener, uh, I want to invite you to go to our YouTube channel and check out all the stories we've built so far. But if you know people that you think, man, if more people could hear about what so-and-so are doing in this town... Throw us a text, highlight them. We'd love for Anne or someone from our team to be able to interview them and profile it on here because it's inspiring, it's encouraging. And for some people, I just think they deserve a bit more credit for what they're doing. Yeah, I agree. That's amazing. Yeah, we want to hear more stories. And I find them personally, they're really encouraging just to hear about other pastors and what they're walking through and what they're doing in their communities. And today we have John Thompson back on the podcast again. He was with us about a year ago and we have him back to share some specific thoughts that might be helpful to pastors, especially in this season. So why don't you tell us a bit more about your conversation with him? What stuck out to you? So there's a bit of context needed for this conversation. So John and I are friends and we've had him on before. 
And uh, he called and said, hey, man, I've got something on my heart, and it's around calling. And the backstory for that is a couple years ago, Carrie Newhoff hosted the Church Leaders Conference out in Ontario at Conexus. And I wasn't able to go, but John did this talk and I had friends there texting me being like, man, this talk is like God's doing something with it. And the talk was on calling and this idea that like pastors need to know that they're called. Like, and I've thought about that a lot. I've wrestled with that. Is that even true? Like, can we, like, if I'm uncertain my call, can I still serve? And so I've wrestled with that idea. And I, I would say I feel called, like a lifelong call to pastoral ministry. But I know that's not everyone's story. So it was so interesting that he gave this talk. And then he called, uh, he called us recently and said, hey, I've got this on my heart. I shared the same talk with my staff. And it felt like a now message. And we talked about it as a team. It really resonated with us. And so what he's doing on this conversation is a little bit different than our typical conversations. Uh, we're not just interviewing him on stories and what's going on in the life of his church, although there'd be lots of fun stories to hear from their church, from Sanctus Church. But it was specifically around the theme of calling, because I think for pastors to weather the storms that they've been through this year and what's ahead, there's going to need to be an anchoring, and perhaps our calling in Christ is part of the anchoring. What I loved about it, though, is he talked about different types of calling. They don't all feel supernatural. So he talked about biblical examples of calling and then what it means to work out our calling over time. Wow. Amazing. Well, let's just jump right into your conversation today with John Thompson. For those that don't know, like John, your pastor, uh, Sanctus Church in Ontario. Yep. And um, one thing that I've really enjoyed is you and I've had good chats about theology, about life, about ministry, about pop culture references, but also there's just been a number of times where we've been able to sit down together and pray for people. Um, it's something that God uses you in a powerful way to do is to just encourage people through prayer ministry. And uh, I have fond memories of being like, it's happened multiple times now, but I think it was the last time we were in Calgary, I think. Yep. And you're like, Hey Jay, you up for praying with this guy for me? I'm like, sounds good. And then it was yep. like a maybe 30 or 45 minutes of prayer together. And I've just loved that. And, uh, yeah. how do you describe that nature of your ministry? Like as a pat, like, cause you, you don't travel full time. You, you're, you're 90% of the time at home serving your local church yep. with your fam. But then when you're on the road, there's kind of the sense of like, you use the language of assignments. How do you describe that? Yeah, it is. And actually when we hung out on this podcast last time, and I talked about, uh, permission-based ministry and how Jesus did nothing except what the father told him to do, keeping in step with the spirit, just because part of my gift mix, it's not by rank or personality. Um, just because I have some spiritual gifts, I, I just remain open. And a lot of times wildly, the Holy spirit will say, go over to this person and talk about this thing. And then it, it happened last night. I was, I was on, I had done a podcast a few uh, months ago and, and this young leader actually in the middle of the country, I ended up praying with last night over zoom or FaceTime. I forget what, and all the same stuff happened and it's great. Love it. Do you think yeah. there's kind of a journey? Cause you've been serving Jesus and trying to obey him for a long time. Is there a bit of yeah. journey of being like, oh, I've got this instinct that I should pray with that person or call that person. And part of the journey is just actually saying, hey, this could be nothing, but I should email that guy or text the guy or yeah. and say, hey, do you want to jump on Zoom? Because I think I'm supposed to pray for you. Is that part of it? Just taking that step? hundred percent. And admitting while you're doing it, it could be wrong. As I always jokingly say, it could be the tacos from last night. So you got to talk to us from last yeah, night. You got to, yeah, you got to have a profound humility of being ready to be wrong when it comes to power gifts. Mm -hmm. uh, you got to, you got to tone down the authority and tone up the humility. Mm -hmm. And that usually sets the table for a lot better conversation versus thus saith the Lord. 
but that's another podcast and another another podcast for another time. Uh, yeah. um, before we jump in, we have a very specific thing we want to chat about today. Um, but I do want to ask about your most recent book project that's not released yet. Um, yeah. Where are we where are we at in the process? When's that going to see the the, the light, of, light day? of day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I've been part of this church on staff for twenty three years, and one of the wild things that's happened in this historically conservative church is we've been running. Well, actually, now one of the probably the largest deliverance ministries in the country. I think we have 120 volunteers. We've had 700 mm-hmm. cases in two and a half years. And I've been on this journey of theologically and pragmatically trying to work this out with staff and volunteers well long term in, in one local context, theological integrity, clinical understanding. And so uh, after 23 years, we finished the book. John Mark Comer just wrote the Ford. Actually, he his Ford's wild. His experience. I, which I read it, with, man. Yeah, Dude. with his wife. Uh, is awesome. So this, this, it's going to, our hope is June 1st. It's cool. going to be live on Amazon. That's the goal. Um, but sooner than later, you know, pandemic COVID timelines are what they are, but we're just going through Amazon. So we'll, once it's uh, done, the artwork's done, the editing's done. Um, yeah. Good work, than I mean, okay. Here's the thing. I know that people listening, there's all sorts of responses to just the implication of deliverance ministry, but let me say this. They just all rolled their eyes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What I love John is I feel like I, you're a a theologian and a practitioner and a pastor, and that comes out in your work. And I think every person who's trying to pastor or lead in a church context and who reads the new Testament has to figure out, does some of those things around deliverance and the demonic that happened in the first century through Christians is that still relevant for pastors and congregations and disciple making movements in Canada in this century? And I feel like it's just such a, such a powerful and profound thing that you've put all the research and time and love into it. I think it's an important conversation. Admittedly, I don't feel entirely comfortable in the conversation. Um, but my hunch is that there's probably some of the most important conversations we're going to have as the church in the next five years are the most uncomfortable. And so thank you for putting this book uh, in the middle of that conversation. And you know what? People should read it, push it, talk about it, wrestle with it, and then ask the question, if this is true, then what does this mean for our local church? So thanks for doing that, man. Anything before we move on from that, any notes on that project you want to say before we move on from it? Yeah. Uh, all, all I'll say is that, uh, you know, I am, I am a historically very conservative guy who never wanted to do this ministry who thought it was the weird people down the street that did it wrong or shouldn't do it at all. And I'd go to heaven and hang out with them later, but didn't want to be with them down here. And what happened organically here is it kept coming up and it Mm. started in a very Caucasian middle-class youth group and wouldn't go away. And so we were pragmatically forced into the issue to help people. And 23 years later, we're still doing that. So Mm. I'm not the, I'm not the exorcist guru or anything like that. And, you know, well, I'm sure we're gonna have another conversation later about this. My encouragement listing is just, um, I try to work really hard to flesh out the theology before the praxis. So you can Mm. theologically be rooted before you get to the the practical stuff. Anyway, Mm. much, much larger conversation. But I will tell you this, uh, 23 years in later, 23 years in later in this conversation, desperately needed desperately needed in every local church. And it's not just a New Testament thing. It's an Old Testament thing too. And you won't believe how many people aren't free that mm. think they are or want to be and don't know what to do. But man, I'll say it again. That's another podcast for another yeah, day. I, I, I have <laughs> thoughts I want to go on to. That's yeah. a, this is the cliffhanger. Because yep. 
there's freedom. Anyways, another yeah. conversation. Okay, here's what we're here to talk about today. Yeah. Uh, let me let me try to set the stage a little bit. Uh, two threads to set the stage for the conversation. One is a couple of years ago, um, Carrie Newhoff hosted a conference called the Canadian Church Leaders Conference. Uh, yep. Similar name, the podcast, King Church Leaders Podcast, he actually started. Uh, yep. We never ran the pod, the conference. We didn't inherit the conference either, uh, but they'd run it out of Connexus Church. Uh, really incredible conference because it was four pastors, very personal Canadian thought leaders and pastoral voices. And I wasn't able to attend the year that you spoke. I, I wanted, I was actually planning to, and then I got sick and I wasn't able to come out. And, but I, I was getting the play-by-play from Steve Mulder, who was there yep. from Alpha and Shayla was there. My friend, Jeremy McDonald was there. And so I was getting the play-by-play hearing how the conference was going. And after your session at that conference, I got messages from probably all of the above, just highlighting this message you did on the topic of calling and right. just how significant it felt. And so that, that's thread number one. Thread number two is what's going on right now with pastors. That's not new at all but it feels more acute, which is pastors like me feeling like, why did I get into this? Like, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Like, oh, I know it, what you mean. Yes. And it's always the case. Like it's not a COVID thing. It's just more acute in a hyper social media, hyper anxious because of COVID and other things moment in history. Yeah. I know there's a lot of pastors going, I would way rather start a coffee shop, work for a parachurch, start a marketing company, become a mailman. Uh, mow lawns, anything, anything but this. And so that conversation about that talk on calling and this feeling of like pastors really wrestling with calling. And then you and I connecting recently, those threads uh, pulled together say, Hey, essentially I want to actually have a conversation about the sermon you gave a few years ago on calling. And I want you to walk us through a bit of a biblical framework on calling, why this is important to talk about. And we'll just kind of engage around. So it's a little bit of a different format than we might typically have on the podcast where, you know, and that's where we'll have you back, talk about the book, talk about what's going on at Sanctus and different things. But actually, we just want to unpack actually the biblical theme and try to land in our life. And so why don't you start by just setting the stage, like, why do you feel like this is a really important conversation for us to be having today? Sure. Yeah. So uh, all your feels are my feels too, bro. Uh, Like... (laughs) This is a really, really crappy time to be a pastor. Um, and it's a really dangerous time to be a pastor. So let me set the stage this way. I want to speak to anyone who's a pastor, vocationally called, pastor, theologian, uh, whatever. Sure. Uh, parachurch. And then I know a lot of people listen to the podcast that are considering ministry or yeah. trying to evaluate. So this cuts in both directions. And I listen to these podcasts like you do. So I know it's already happening. A bunch of guys are like, ah, I've got the calling thing down. I'm out. I'd actually ask you to listen to this and not dismiss it so quickly just as another thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think this this um, this says wait for the moment. And I'm not saying that for some brand moment. I, I, mm-hmm. There's something to this. Mm-hmm. So um, you and I decided not to talk through the state of the church. We all know it's trouble in Canada. And we also know that we're living in this really difficult time where religious freedom is eroding legally in the country. One in 10 churches is closing. The new Barna study that came out about evangelism and lots of O's there. And then the response right now in the Christian community is almost Christian nationalism in a Canadian form as the answer. And the problem with that is that, of course, is an idol in itself. It never is the answer. And then COVID and masks and 
languishing, which everyone's talking about in the last 48 hours when we're recording this, and on and on and on. So here's the question. Um, last time when I was with you, I talked about how does the church thrive in a post-Christian, and now we'll add COVID global moment. Uh, I'd like to narrow it really down to this. What type of leader is going to thrive, uh, survive and thrive in this mm. moment? Uh, Christian leaders. Yeah. And so years ago, like you said, Carrie called me up and said, you want to speak at this conference? And he said, and I want you to write something new. I'm like, Carrie, what? <laughs> no problem. <I'll... laughs> so we laughed back and forth. And I wrote this. Carrie would me. ask that. Hey, I don't want you to use no, a, no, of a course, repeat. Of course. No, no, of course. And I appreciate it. I wrote this thing called the Christian leaders life cycle. And I started the talk by saying only when calling is clear, will you survive and thrive? Mm. If there's fog, you're done. Because it's the only thing you've got left when everything else falls apart. So the, the first thing is I asked in the 2018 or 19, but I'm going to say this again, uh, for this moment in the Canadian church, and I know leaders around the world listen, so beyond Canada, we have to recapture an old theology of calling if we're going to do well in this moment. Hmm. And it, it, calling is the grounding for long-term survivability and profound ministry. But, but the very first thing that I started discovering is when you say the word calling, it's like a pregnant term and all sorts of stuff gets into it. And it's actually a toxic term depending on who you talk to. And so first question, what is biblical calling? Can it be different? Can it be the same? And why does the diversity matter? So mm. as I went through the scriptures, uh, we're talking about vocational calling here. I found four models. And the modality matters. The first one I called, oh, crap, I have no choice calling. Okay. <laughs> and that's found in the story of Jeremiah and the story of Paul as two archetypes. So I'm going to just read, forgive me as I keep looking at it. Yeah, take here us there. But Jeremiah 1.4, I think many of us who are listening to this podcast have preached this. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you before you were born. I set you apart, appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Then the Lord reached out his hand, touched my mouth, and said, I put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms, uproot, tear down, destroy, overthrow, build, and plant. Jeremiah had no vote. There, there was no, but I want to go to university being an engineer. Shut up. Before you were born, it is so. Mm-hmm. You know, all the Calvinists are saying amen. You know, like, yeah. it is so, <laughs> right? Uh, and I am one of them, so it's all good. So, but no, it's just like, you have no choice. And and Saul of Tarsus, of course, is the other one. And this came home to me so strong when you watch the interaction. It's a beautiful interaction between Ananias and Jesus, the risen Jesus, as Saul is on his way to Damascus to arrest people like us. And then he's blinded. The Shekinah glory comes down and, and he's overdone. And in Acts 9.13, Ananias says to Jesus, and I love his honesty to the risen Christ, like it's beautiful. He says, well, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. He's come here with the authority of the chief priest to arrest all in your name. And Jesus said to him, go, like, shut it, go, go do this. And then he says, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before non-Jews, their Kings and before the people of Israel. I'll show how much he must suffer for my name. Paul, Saul of Tarsus, Paul, he had no choice. Now, when you usually are in church circles, this is the only calling story that's talked about. The profound, supernatural, oh my goodness, angels showed up, calling. And this is my calling story. I'm Mm. a fifth-generation Christian. My parents were missionaries. My grandfather was part of Youth for Christ in Montreal in a Prairie Bible Institute. Years before that, my my grandmother was saved at the Vancouver Tabernacle 
down Come to on. it doesn't even yeah my grandfather came to faith there yeah all like all this my other grandfather was with youth for christ in the 50s at massey hall part of the worship team with trumpets like i got all this history but there was no pressure on me to go into ministry even though i grew up overseas and when i was in grade seven i had a profound encounter with jesus and he said to me you are going to be a pastor Wow. And my response to him was, so I'm a 12 year old, right? I fir- first of all, I said, I'm not sure if I want to obey you sexually. Second thing I said to him was, I'm not sure if I love your church enough. Uh, by the time grade nine hit for me, I had agreed that I was going to lose. I agreed with heaven. And when I got baptized, not only was I affirming my faith, that became my vows, my priestly vows to obey Christ. I reoriented my high school education, but my calling story was dramatic. I had an encounter mm. with Jesus. I was called. It was, mm. here's the problem. When I joined the staff of this church as the youth pastor, the senior pastor who I was working under was a former entrepreneur who became a Christian after he got married to a Christian. So a whole nother story there. And some guys said, hey, you're a business guy and sell things. Well, why don't you become a pastor? And I was like, that's your calling story? Hmm. Like, what? So I pridefully and secretly viewed him as lesser than me for years. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And then the Lord confronted me and said, who the heaven do you think you are? Hmm. <laughs> and so I realized that I had a view of calling that was reduced to one form, which caused arrogance and caused me not to respect and submit to a leader and also caused disunity on the team. So the next question I asked is, are there other calling stories? Are there Mm. other calling formats? Because just like I said with gifts, when we talked about convergence last time, there's gift tension, but there's calling tension on staffs. Mm -hmm. So as you keep reading through the New Testament, uh, the next form of gift calling, uh, sorry, calling is connected to gifts. It's Timothy, right? Uh, there's certain clusters of spiritual gifts that naturally lead to a vocational call. Hmm. And you can see this in 2 Timothy 1.5, right? You know, uh, Paul's writing, he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which lived in your grandma Lois and your mom Eunice. And now I'm persuaded. I always love that, by the way. I just love oh, the yeah. shout out for Lois. And well, Eunice. and I've actually, in the last year and a half, I've done two talks on household faith and why that's just as important as other encounters of Christianity. It's anyway, so cool. It's so another awesome. conversation about Lois. Another, yes, another time. totally. And Eunice. So for this reason, I'm reminded you to fan into the, you know, the flame of the gift of God, which is in you through the laying of hands. So, so the point is certain people go into ministry and they're called because there's a certain gift mix of, let's say, teaching and leadership and shepherding. And that cluster is the right cluster for the long-term thing. Uh, that's not as necessarily spiritually dynamic as being knocked you know, down by the Shekinah yeah. glory of God, but just as powerful. Now, the third one is profoundly unwestern, profoundly undemocratic. And if you're Western, you find this deeply offensive. And yet we need to remind ourselves as good Canadians, the world is here and most of the world is not Western. And actually much of the world does not believe in democracy like we do. So it's the story of Samuel. So mm. Hannah, you know the story, right? Found in First Samuel, you can read it, chapter one. She's praying. The priest Eli's like, "You're a drunk woman. Get out of here." She's like, "I'm not drunk. I'm actually intercess, interceding before God," and and basically she says to the Lord, "If you give me a son, he's yours forever. He's going to be your priest. Period." Mm. The Lord gives her Samuel, and then I think it's at seven years old. He she takes him back, and that's it. He's in the ministry. Mm. So this is what I call family-based ministry. And what's so important about this 
is most of us, especially who are Western, don't slow down enough if we have faith history to ask what mom or dad or auntie or grandma or grandpa prayed over us. So a lot of times in seminary, I don't, you know, or in Bible college or in leadership courses, they'll tell you to do this leadership lifeline. I don't, I don't know if you've ever done one of these. Where you draw a line, you're like zero to three years old. What were the biggest impacts in your life? And mm. three to six and six to nine. And then they say, you know, what books formed you or what mentor helped you? And so they draw this line and it sort of shows you the shape. What we don't do is we don't do that with spiritual experiences. Mm. And, we, and you need to. And what's amazing is many people are called into ministry actually have these moments in their history that they've forgotten about where things were spoken over that actually are the inception point for the college. Mm. Wow. So this idea, I'm an engineer and I'm going to go to UFT and that's what I'm going to do. Well, maybe, but I think God's sovereign. So sometimes calling is rooted in family, not just individual decision. Now, the last mm. one is in Acts 14. It's really boring. It's really not snappy. And it's really, really significant. And it says in Acts 14, 23, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for each of the churches and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord whom they put their trust. Now, if you read the word commit in Greek, it literally means to raise a hand and vote. Hmm. Uh, we all think Jay would be a good elder. Everyone agree? Good character? Hands up. Boom. Pastor. Congratulations. So, so why does this matter? Because God-given calling in vocational ministry is the bedrock for risk, courage, integrity, and perseverance over a long haul. And mm. the problem is, if you only think there's one version of calling, you'll write off all the other calling stories around you. So, I'll, and this is not meant as a shot. You and I've talked about this. In Pentecostal circles, if you don't speak in tongues, historically, you feel like a second-class citizen or you've done something wrong. Sure. In staff cultures, if you don't have the John Thompson, Jesus met with me when I was, you know, 12, you're like, oh, well, Maybe I'm not as, and suddenly you're already in trouble. Hmm. So people of an overtly spiritual experience to their calling tend to look down on everyone who doesn't have one. And those who have a less supernatural feeling one always become jealous or angry or doubt the authenticity of the more supernatural ones. Mm -hmm. And the gift calling, the gift, sorry, the, the, the calling um, tension causes disunity in a team. Interesting. I would say that's my experience. You know, I'm, I'd be... Maybe looking back after processing over many years, I can see moments that might only in retrospect feel like, oh, maybe that was God speaking, but they weren't experienced as these like supernatural moments. For me, it's like I went into my undergrad to study business um, and I almost, almost reluctantly said, I think I'm doing ministry. Like I, it, and it was so clear. It was being affirmed around me. Right. God was using me. And it was almost like a, and then there was this journey of me almost again, in retrospect, it's easier to talk about. I don't even know if I was consciously yeah. doing it, like, testing the call, yeah. giving, giving more of myself over to it to the point by which, and that happened over probably four or five years point where I, which I was like, I'm all in. And that was a right. powerful moment for me because when I went all in all of a sudden, all that fog in my mind, all that, what should I do? Right. Calmed. And I gave myself over to it, but I don't have like that moment that you described. And I think for a long time, especially in those early years, I really wrestled with, am I called, you know? Right. Like, yeah. And if calling is the bedrock for perseverance and calling is the only thing you've got when everything goes sideways and you got doubt about your calling, it's trouble. Mm. And if churches are trying to survive and then thrive in this really dangerous moment, and there's disunity that 
that we don't even know about based on calling theology, it's also a landmine we don't need in our church right now. Hmm. Can I ask a so, question? Yeah, please. Just Yeah. When you're talking about calling, I've always wrestled with this. So I was at Alpha for a number of years. While I was at Alpha, yep. I was also working at Christian Life Assembly in Langley. And I always, I felt like a healthy ministry for me was like one foot in a local church and then one foot with Alpha. In this most recent season, um, I've given myself more over in the church planning of the way in Vancouver. Um, but I wrestled with, was I called, was my, I knew I was called to build the church in Canada. That became kind of the working language and it was local church. That was for me. And I could do that through Alpha. I could do it through CLA. And I felt like I was committed to those organizations, but I was never quite sure if my calling was when you're called, are you called into a local church specifically, or are you called into vocation? I'll find different expressions over time. And I asked that to say, some people right now are going, I think I might be called to ministry, but they're actually wondering, should I leave the church I'm working at right now? Or um, should I take this job opportunity? And that can feel really stressful to go, am I called to this yeah. specific job? What's the difference yep. there? So what I'm talking about right now is behind what you just said. So mm-hmm. I'm not even talking about the, the, so the language that we have to start using is calling and assignment. Cool. The calling is, is the run. The mm-hmm. assignment can be forever or can be different. Rick Warren, when he went into ministry, prayed, God, let me only serve in one church. That was his request. And the Lord granted it to him. He did one mm. run. I know lots of other very faithful men and women that have a diversity of things, but it's the bedrock of their calling. That's the critical thing I'm addressing, not mm. the assignment to different things. So this isn't a, a way for someone to go. I feel guilty for even thinking about no another job, no. another church or yeah, no, uh, no, no, no. I'm a church planner. I got this thing off the ground. Am I supposed to do another church plan or am I supposed to, you know, that's not what we're talking about. You're talking about that, no. that. The, the, the thing behind those assignments. The ground floor that I am vocationally called into long-term ministry for my life. That's cool. what we're talking about. Now, another interesting thing emerges here beyond the assignments. If calling is the inception point for survivability and thriving, then there better be authority connected to the calling. Mm-hmm. And one of the striking things that happened to me was when I was preaching through 1 Corinthians, uh, it came home and it's actually in first Corinthians four one and Paul is addressing, don't forget first Corinthians is written to a church that hates their leader. They Let's don't give me the like context Paul. there. I, they I, don't like Paul. They don't like interesting. Him. They, they, it is written in the leadership crisis. And I'm just thinking about who's listening right now. That's like, I know how that feels. Yeah, they, they just, they don't like him. And, and he says in the middle of a church that is languishing and that is in, involved in materialism and multiple faith expressions that are banned and even sexual inappropriate activity, he says in 1 Corinthians 4.1, uh, this then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ, those entrusted with the mysteries that God has revealed. Now, <laughs> there is a level foot that we all have at the cross to access God, but he says, but some of us have authority to lead. Now, if you do your work in first Corinthians four, and this is really important. If, if someone's about to turn off the podcast, don't the word servant here, he uses two forms of servant chapter one, two, and three, he uses one. And then here he uses household slave steward. So in Roman culture, a steward ran the house for the master had all the master's authority and owned nothing. So an Old Testament reference would be Joseph ran Potiphar's house as an example, okay? So this is is what he is saying. Paul says to a church that does not like him, I'm here by God's will. I have delegated authority 
not just because I'm called, but in my calling, I have authority by Jesus to lead you and not just teach you, but to lead you. So my calling is where my authority comes from. And, and the example I used in our church was, this is uh, Corinth was so obsessed about, well, if they were today, they would be social media obsessed. And I said, here's what they wanted. They wanted a professor that was incredibly good looking, physically, dressed amazing, had a few hundred thousand Instagram followers, could debate anyone at University of Toronto, speak in tongues, cast out demons, while holding a flat white, and writing a blog as he spoke in multiple languages. I mean, if you read First Corinthians, that's what they wanted. And does pastoral visits. Oh, oh 100%. But better be good looking. Like, it's yeah. crazy when you read it. And Paul says, I don't care what you think. I'm called and I'm in charge. Hmm. Now, right when I say that, here's what happens. I I can feel it. I just know people are like, oh, don't touch the Lord's anointed. You can do anything you want. You're just a freaking dictator. And then Paul says in the very next verse, now it is required that those who've been given a trust must prove faithful. Hmm. So he says, my calling is clear and my authority to lead is connected to my calling. And I actually now have to show character to actually do this thing. Mm. And then the next verse is the wild one. He says, I don't care if you're judged, if I'm judged by you or any other human court, I don't judge myself. So here's what Paul says, and this really matters. Paul says, I don't care if you think I'm the best leader or the right leader, or I'm not up to your preaching style. He says, I am actually haunted by something that you don't think about. I'm going to be judged by Jesus. And he forgets nothing. Mm. So Paul says, I'm called and it's my security. I have authority because of my calling, and actually my calling is stronger than your opinion, and Jesus' judgment is actually stronger than your judgment or my judgment. But he leads out of calling, but he's haunted mm. that he's going to actually have to give an account for real. Mm. Like he, he, You can feel it. He goes, I'm actually going to have to sit with the living Jesus and give an account. There's no way out. So calling is the inception. Calling's the beginning. The authority is connected to your calling. And by the way, side note here, everyone listening, if your calling's not clear, then your authority's not clear. If your authority's not clear, you'll never lead. Hmm. So I asked the question years ago at Carrie's conference, between the inception point of calling and realizing, oh my goodness, I actually have God-given authority, which a lot of pastors don't believe anymore. And before I end ministry, how do I, in the long middle, sustain the calling well? Mm. Like, I'm 45. Um, I'm in the middle of the run. Yeah. So how do I keep going and not become a, another statistic? Knowing yeah. my calling is for sure. It's affirmed by community. And I actually have quite a significant amount of authority given to me by Christ. And the answer is, the way you prove faithful in your calling, and by the way, I'll be a little charismatic this moment. This is for someone right now. Hmm. is love. The only thing that continually authenticates your calling and secures you in your calling is 1 Corinthians 13 love. Hmm. So the way calling is sustained is patience, kindness, don't envy, don't boast, don't be proud, don't dishonor others, don't be self-seeking, don't be easily angered, keep no record of wrongs, Don't delight in evil, rejoice with truth, protect, trust, hope, persevere. In other words, once the calling gets clear, so you can keep going, and the authority is pretty clear, then the next thing you need to pray is every day, 
because this is agape love. You need to supernaturally give me love that's not natural so I mm. don't misuse my calling. Remember, Moses sinned with the staff of God. Mm. So calling's got to be clear. Authority's got to be clear. Unity on teams need to be clear. And then there has to be this moment because calling gives you direction, authority. It builds leadership communities. And also, if your calling gets really clear, you're going to have freedom not to look at other leaders' yards. Wow. Looking yeah, for something that's big. better, something greater. And once you start believing that actually Jesus's judgment on you as a leader, his evaluation of you is more significant than your calling, then actually that voice becomes more primary and you don't get caught up in the bizarre jealousy that we're seeing all over the place. Yeah. It's just, it burns. Yeah. And it burns early, which is good. It's interesting, man, the way you, even this is how I'm experiencing this because you and I had a pre-conversation a few weeks ago. I've been thinking on this and it's like, you know, literally you have those thoughts. Can I get out of this? You know, and what triggers those thoughts are sometimes um, having to make really difficult decisions, having tough conversations, yep. uh, being criticized by the culture, being criticized by your own people. Um your own and then heart also accusing you my yeah you're the, you're not yeah or seeing it seeing its tax on on your personal life on your family on your social life um but then also it's that comparison that's a big part of it it's like oh like somehow i feel more rubbish about what i'm doing because i'm looking at what someone else is doing and obviously i'm just seeing one side of what they're doing as well right sure they're yeah. they're bigger they're they grew faster they're yeah the uh, grass is just the same amount of green and brown there as it is here but you know this even ties back to what we talked to even about uh, gifts last time we met on this podcast in Romans 12, where Paul says, you need to measure yourself by the faith given. And, and my encouragement all the time is to invite God to tell you where he's not taking you. Hmm. Divine limits are a gift. So in, in, with the spiritual gift conversation in Romans 12, he actually says, not only do you not get to decide what gifts you get, I assign them. He also tells you the limit of anointing or authority he's going to give you with it. So I always use that illustration. Remember, some people get a creek, some people get a river, and some people get an ocean. And they're all the same gift. But God not only says you get the spiritual gift, he also says you get this much anointing in that gift. And my encouragement to young and old leaders is to ask Jesus unabashedly, tell me what I never get to do. Tell me, tell me how much anointing I'm never going to have. Tell me how much influence I'm never going to get. So you don't waste your life building a dream. And then when you're 65, you're jaded. You hate the church mm. because your dream wasn't built on godly expectation and the promptings of the spirit. And this is the other side of the coin. Once your calling story is clear and you know there's authority there and you know sort of the vibe of what God is doing in your life, you don't have to waste your life on Instagram comparing yourself to the larger, more exciting thing down the street. You don't care as much mm. because it's faithfulness and you really believe it. I, here's a question for everyone listening. When's the last time you as a leader said, I am going to be judged by Jesus? And, and, and when that happens, there's no one else in the room. There's n your feed's going to be gone. You know, I, I jokingly said the other day, you know, because I have all these titles, right? I'm not going to be the Reverend Dr. Thompson on Judgment Day. My 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 doctorate's not coming with me. It's going to be me. 
I, John Thompson, not pastor. And he's going to judge my work. And it's, it's it's how did you steward the calling? Yeah. The the calling and and the gifts. Okay. A couple of things I want to clarify one. And and you've said this really clearly, but I think it's just worth us restating. When you're talking about calling, you're saying the reason why you went through those four is you're like, it's not just a supernatural calling that you can lean on and count on in this way. It's like, it's all of our calling stories can look really different. You gave four biblical models and it might be a mix of a few, but at some point in the leader's journey, and it doesn't have to happen overnight. And if you're 23 listening, you're testing your calling, but there's going to be a point where you got to go. Yes, with, with or without that supernatural experience, mm-hmm. do I have a point I can point back to and said, yeah. I know there's nowhere else for me to go. Correct. This is, those, this is my yeah. calling. And all four of those, Jay, are supernatural. Yeah, I love that. That's the other thing. Yes. It, you know, it's it's same with the gift conversation. The gift of administration, the charisma of administration is just as charismatic as speaking in tongues. That's Because cool. it's spirit birth. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing here. And yeah, and, and I love how you said it in your own journey. The community affirmed it. Yes. Always. Always. But yes, there has to be that point or that moment or that awareness where you go. And here's why. Because six or seven months ago, I was sitting on my back porch and uh, so much had happened, right? COVID had happened. Uh, the, the murder of George Floyd had happened. Black Lives Matter had happened. Everything that was, we had just launched our fourth site here. Um, just before COVID, we had, you know, uh, we we had been told that in a multi-site church, when you launch site four, everything collapses. We'd done so much work to make sure that didn't happen, but it happened in the end anyways, because we put all the logistical eggs in the basket and lost on the relational side. So everything that was brewing in staff that wasn't healthy suddenly exploded during COVID. And there were so many new staff who didn't know the history. And I was sitting in the back going, the staff, you know, were literally just done. Uh, we were, I live actually in Ajax here, you know, when I was living here, this is the highest black population in Toronto. And so how we're wrestling through cultural intelligence and genuinely talking about racism and writing three budgets and living through the pandemic and going virtual. And I sat in my back on a rocking chair and I said, I'm out. Mm-hmm. I, I'm out. Mm-hmm. And Jesus sat with me and said, have I called you or not? And I said to him, I mean, my wife has said to me in 23, 20 years of uh, 23 years of marriage, I've, I've never seen you like this. Mm-hmm. Can you take and me I, to a bit of the emotional state you're in? Because, you know, so we move through these stories quickly and, but like, that's a pretty low moment. Like John, there's for a lot of these years, you love your work. So for you to come to the point where you're like, I'm out, like that's, that's a low moment. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's, it's, you know, I said to our board, it was a perfect storm mm-hmm. because we had such momentum and so many new staff and didn't have time to integrate them. And then, and, and then, and then we had made some bad decisions and like, and I just sat back and, and then, and by the way, and you'll know this, because you know, I've talked about this and every generational bias came out during COVID too. And we have right. four generations on our staff. Yeah. And for the first time I've seen ever, I'm Gen X, by the way, first time ever I had, I saw generations turning on each other. Like one of my greatest frustrations during that moment was the Gen Zs on the staff and the, uh, the later millennials were reacting so quickly to certain situations. I like, but you haven't thought about this. Mm-hmm. And they were like, you're not addressing this quickly. I'm like, but you haven't. So every yeah. generational bias came out and I went, I can't do this. Yeah. 
I can't deal with systemic racism and generational bias and holding the gospel forefront in one of the most pluralistic liberal cities in North America and move our whole church virtual and deal with a staff crisis. I said, I can't do it. I, I, I can't. And Jesus yeah. sat with me and said, have I called you? And I said, yes. And he said, and have I removed it from you? And I said, no. And he said, well, then the conversation's done. <laughs> I was like, yes. Now, many times he reassured me he was with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like, but, yeah, yeah. That's also important. <laughs> yeah. But and I'll but, be there but, with you. But the point is, there are two or three times in my leadership journey, there was another one I talked about years ago, where if my calling was not secure, I would have left. Right. Hmm. Because it's the only thing I had in that moment. It didn't matter if the board was for me. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. Because like you said, it's easier to be, I said two or three times, it'd be easier just to be a Walmart greeter. Yeah. I don't have to deal with anyone's stuff. I can just say hi, and then I can leave, and I don't need to. I'm out. My so, fantasy job is greenskeeper at a golf course. That's my just. That's where I go on a tough day. Is I'm like, I could just <laughs> make those sweet lines on that golf course, fertilize. Hey, John. Question. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> question. Yeah. Is it ever? Is it ever? Um. How do you know when it's ever time to just take a sabbatical? Not oh. to not to walk away from the calling, but to be like, there's yeah. enough pe- because I'm just and and I you I know you're not saying this, but I'm just hearing the counter argument or the counterpoint, which I think it's really important that to address it is, hey, but if if people, what if you're unhealthy? What if you're tired? Like you, what you yeah. said earlier, like if that way of love you described is being uh, compromised right. because of your exhaustion or because of too many things going on and not the last lost the ability to see others, whatever it is that happens as well, especially when you're tired, especially when you're overwhelmed. How do you know when you said I, there's people around me, not saying that I need to leave my calling, but there might be people around me or my spouse or other people might be saying you need to rest so that yeah. you can persevere in your calling. Talk about that distinction. Sure. Yeah. So a million percent. Yes. And one of the things, so um, I didn't take my first sabbatical till 19 years into ministry. We didn't have a sabbatical policy. And Dave, who no longer is on staff here, he's now a senior pastor in Halifax. Him and I went to the board and said, we need to build a rhythmic sabbatical policy that's non-negotiable, which by the way, is different than medical leave. This is really important. Sabbatical is different than medical leave and sabbatical is different than a study leave. If you have academics listening, when they hear sabbatical, they think I go to Oxford for three months and write a book. That's not a sabbatical. It might be fun for those people, but it's not a sabbatical. It's work. Sabbatical is rest. And so, yeah, like I would say every seven years uh, in our context, uh, we have a three-month given sabbatical that you go and rest. Uh, You have to go off everything to do with the church. You have no responsibilities and you have to present a plan how you are going to refresh your soul, how you are going to refresh your family or spouse if you have one, and how you're going to have fun. Hmm. And and you're not allowed to work, and you're not allowed to do projects, and you're not allowed to go to school. That's not allowed. That's work. So I was on the phone with a a friend of mine in Toronto who's going exactly through what you're talking about. Uh, He's probably age-wise between you and me. And I told him, no, no, you don't need a sabbatical. You need a medical leave. 
Right. That's different. Yeah. Okay. I hear medical leave is when you have a mental issue you got to work through or you're exhausted and burned out. That's a, that's a different thing. So, but I would absolutely encourage that. And that should be rhythmic and it should also be aware uh, uh, that should be rhythmic and you should be aware you might need it also in the long term. but that's not abandoning your calling. That's refreshing uh, who you are as an individual. And the other thing too is, I remember being in a room with Dallas Willard a few years ago before he died. And he asked all of us as pastors, why none of us are sleeping. And I thought that was the weirdest intro I'd ever heard. And he said, you know, in, I think it's in Luke's account, where it talks about the parable of the sower. And he, he says, most of you preachers miss this where it says, and after he went to bed, the birds came and the thorns came. He said, why are you all trying to be like Jesus? Like, why? You're not Jesus. You just work for the guy, go to sleep. Mm. And his point was, you know, and I jokingly say, John the Baptist is my patron saint because John the Baptist says, well, if you want Jesus, he's over there. Our, our job is just to point, not be the guy. Mm. Uh, and so I think part of the sabbatical call also in calling is to actually take Sabbath weekly for real. Mm. Um, you know, I'm a preacher and, and because I have dyslexia, I, I'd write my sermons and I'd say them three times because I learn orally. So I'd write Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I'd say it on I'd say it on Thursday. I'd say it on Friday. I'd say it on Saturday. And then I'd preach it on Sunday. And a few years ago, the Lord sat me down and asked me the question why I was more important and more significant than every other Christian leader on the earth. And I said, I'm sorry, I don't understand. He said, Well, you don't take you don't take Sabbath seriously, like I've commanded you. And I'm just wondering why you actually think you have to work for seven days, but I've everyone else isn't supposed to. Do you trust mm. me or not? Mm. So I stopped preaching, even with a disability on the Saturday, uh, and um, on the Friday, sorry. And amazingly, my preaching got better. Mm. <laughs> so weekly Sabbath, interim Sabbath, absolutely. Mm. What about being disqualified? Can you, can you be disqualified from your calling? Well, of course you can. Of course you can, because we see that in the scriptures time and time again. Even, even Paul, when he writes in 2 Timothy, and it's really interesting if you read between Titus, 1 Timothy, and 2 Timothy, he mentions leaders in 2 Timothy that have now turned against him in the faith, where in 1 Timothy, they were his best friends. And he now says they're outsiders. Um, Saul uh, of Tarsus, not Saul of Tarsus, King Saul is a great example. Um, Moses and Aaron, in part, because, you know, they don't get to go in the promised land. Um, they are partially. Dis- so, of course, if you uh, misuse uh, sexuality, sex, uh, misuse relationships or power in points, of course, you can be disqualified from your calling, mm. not your salvation. Yeah. Uh, thank God for that. And, and it says in First Corinthians, some of us will be at judgment, just like those who touch the fire, but actually are still saved. Mm. Um, but yeah, you can, of course, disqualify yourself. And that's why, you know, one of the biggest encouragements we all need to do as pastors and leaders is deal with our stuff. You know, Galatians mm-hmm. six, I think it's Galatians six, one says to pastors and leaders, you know, um, you know, help people who are out. That might be the wrong reference, but be careful. You yourself are not tempted when you're helping them. We interact with the stuff of life all the time and we are vulnerable and broken and sinful. So we really got to self-lead well to make sure we don't give into stuff while we're helping people. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, thanks for, thanks for embracing those tangents, by the way. No um, problem. I know that's not the heart of what we're chatting about, but it's just important to kind of clear some of the clutter because 
at the heart of this is an invitation for people listening who maybe feel like thrown in the towel or maybe aren't walking in the fullness of their authority in a season where we need pastors and leaders, men and women walking in their authority in our time. And with clear callings. Yeah. And saying, I know this is hard and I know I'm not doing this perfect, but I know I'm called. And that's, that's the heart of what we're getting at. Totally. And we're, we're, we're going to need profoundly called people to lead the church in this, well, not just post-Christian, almost post-secular now neo-pagan moment. Uh, We haven't faced what we're facing ever in our country's history. You know, I wrote um, in a sermon for next week, we're at a tipping point as the church. Either we're about to enter into a spiritual winter we've never experienced in our country's history, or we're going to actually enter into a renewal and revival we've never seen in our country's history. But either of those options, you need profoundly called people that are clear. Yeah. Yeah. Can I go back to one last thing? Please. Um, yeah. So first Corinthians four, Paul talks about being a steward and having authority. And, and when I was talking at Carrie's conference, I asked this question, how do you prepare well to die? And this is what I was saying at the end. Now I was 42 when I t- did this originally. And I said, so I'm right in the middle of my run. And most, most people in their twenties, thirties or forties are not thinking about uh, retiring out of calling or dying in their calling. They're thinking about achieving as much as they can in the moment. My concern is that most of us think about the end too late. Hmm. So one of the questions that you know I wrestled with, I still wrestle with, is this. If I'm a steward, I'm called. If I'm a steward, I have real authority. But the reminder that I am a steward tells me I own nothing. Hmm. I don't own the Bible I preach from. I don't own the gifts I have. I don't own the people I lead. I don't own the buildings that I lease or rent. I, own, I literally own nothing. And, and the reason why I want to bring this up, Jay, is because um, we have to, st- if we're going to have people do really well long-term, they have to start thinking about how they're going to give up well at the end. Hmm. And one of the ways that you do that is you remind yourself you own nothing. I, sorry to make a, a Tolkien reference, because it seems every pastor no. is obsessed by this, but I, I don't tend to Feels do right. this. But, but you know, you know, in the, in some people only watch the movies, in the third movie, you know, there, there's the steward of Gondor. Do you remember the scene? And Gandalf walks in and then there's the great white throne. And then there's this little sort of blackish wooden throne and the steward of Gondor doesn't own Gondor. He's only supposed to sit on the steward's throne, not the King's throne, but he, but he goes insane when he starts acting like the King Hmm. and he burns his son almost alive. Remember then he ends up killing himself. Here's the point. When you start forgetting you are a steward, you will go insane. You will end up doing things you never thought you would do. So one of the spiritual disciplines I regularly practice in my life every week at 45 years old is I I literally say it loud, I don't own Sanctus Church. I don't own any of my, I own nothing. And then the second thing I do is I pray for my successor weekly. Hmm. So um, uh, I don't feel released from this church, nor does the board. And actually we have great momentum. I think we're going to come out of COVID quite strong as a church, but here nor there, I regularly pray for my successor as a reminder that I don't own this. And as a reminder that all pastors are interim pastors, even if they're profoundly called. And, and so the reason why I want to bring this up is I don't know if you ever read this, read the study by Bobby Clinton from Fuller. No. Years ago. So years ago, he did this really significant thing. He 
He did an analysis of every leader in the Bible. He identified a thousand leaders in the Bible by name or by rank. But you can only do you can only analyze 49 of them completely, middle, beginning, end, the whole deal. And here's the the uh-oh moment that he found. 70% of God-called authority-given leaders ended up not ending well at all. Mm. So only 30% of called leaders in scripture started well and ended well. Mm. So, you know, not to make another downer while we're all languishing during COVID, but the stats aren't good for us as, as faith leaders. The scripture itself says we've got, you know, a 30% chance of ending right. So why does this calling thing matter? It's how you start. It's how you persevere. It's how you get authority. You got to have love in the middle. And it also is the reminder you own nothing. And you need to continually say, I want to end well. And if I'm going to end well, I have to prepare to die well, which means I give up the thing I love the most. Hmm. And no matter who's listening to this podcast, whether you've been in ministry for 40 years or you're considering this, this, this conversation is critical at this moment mm. because we're about to have a clergy crisis that very few people are talking about. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is not just, you know, I mean, you and I were, I think it was John Mark and others who were talking about in the States, what was it, four months ago, 70% of pastors were considering leaving ministry altogether. Yeah. And they were just like, like out. Well, that's one thing. But pre-COVID, all the stats were telling us we weren't even going to have enough pastors and leaders, even if COVID didn't happen. Totally. So we don't have enough called people in the first place to do what we're doing. And then we have a bunch of people who are about to leave and maybe they should and maybe they shouldn't. Because mm. uh, COVID, I think, has exposed some people who took the job but weren't called. But then there's a whole nother generation looking at how hard it is, and not to be an ass in this moment, but a lot of people want to be counselors and spiritual directors. And by the way, I have both in my life, but they want to do it because after 60 minutes, you can walk away. Yeah. You can't walk away if you're a, you know, to use the old terms, a pastor, an evangelist, et cetera. Uh, so I'm not just, I'm not um, saying those two things can't be callings. I'm just saying, I think a lot of people are looking at, a lot of fallings, a lot of crisis and going, I don't know if I even want to get into this. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we need to say, it's actually not your choice. You need to ask if you've been called. Mm-hmm. Remember, calling isn't choice. It's someone else's decision over your life. Mm-hmm. If somebody's saying, I'm just not sure if I'm called, how can, what kind of journey can they go on in the middle of this moment? to rediscover, recommit, um, or, or discover. Yeah. Or f- for the first time I'm thinking about the re though. Cause, um, okay. I think I'm thinking about there's young leaders listening and, and you can actually be called much later in life too. Like you talked about, uh, your, the predecessor who came out of business, at, but I'm, I'm more thinking about the person who's in it yeah, and is going, I'm pretty sure I was called, but right now I feel pretty far from being convicted about my calling. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, it's interesting how in the book of Revelation, there's that command to go back to your first love, Hmm. um, which is easily preached and easily sung and hard to do. (laughs) 
uh, it's hard to fall. It's, it's hard to fall back in love with something mm-hmm. that you're used to. Um, mm-hmm. You know, as we, who, cause you and I are both married, you know, there are long stretches in marriage that are just boring. Mm-hmm. They're not, they're just so they, they're not bad. They just are. And this is fine because my wife doesn't listen to the podcast. So she's, it's oh, fine for- <laughs> my, my wife is probably saying amen somewore. So it's totally, you know, it's like, <laughs> that's fine. Here's, here's what I'd say. You need to go back to the living, uh, the Lord of heaven and earth, the living Christ who sits at the right hand of majesty. And you need to say to him, you called me and I feel thin and I don't know what to do. And I actually need you to do something. And I know that sounds like a very pat bumper sticker answer, but what I find so striking is that when I have these conversations, Jay, about the rediscovery or the recommitment, I almost feel like so many leaders have a back door in their head. So mm-hmm. I'll use your analogy. They've got the golf course door open just mm-hmm. in case. Yeah. Um, there can meet, there can be no escape. So what I mean by that, not in an ominous way, but like if, if you're planning back doors, then you're not, you're not really asking to fall back in love. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's like saying, I want to work on my marriage, but I still just want to have the option to leave if I need to, you know? Yeah. If you're called, you're called. So you might need to say to Jesus, oh my goodness, you need to heal me because I can't keep going unless you heal me. Fair. You might say, you need to remind me of my calling so I can keep going. Fair. You you might need to actually repent of some sin because actually, fair. You, you might literally need to have sabbatical. Fair. You might need a medical leave or some clinical counseling. But you and I are both okay with these things. Fair. Mm-hmm. But if there's a back door. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm really grateful for this conversation. I think that um, the picture I have in my mind is if somebody is listening and you're God speaking to you and reminding you that you're called, or maybe you from this, go chat with some of those people. That's your community that helps you affirm your calling. Mm -hmm. You might need some months off. You might need to gear down. I talk about gearing down a lot. Like, it's okay right now if you've been trying to do COVID in fifth gear and you need to gear down and just go to slower pace, yep. but take the time, but don't give up the calling and we're in it for the long haul together. And right. um, we need people who are like, I'm going to be here for decades. It's, you know, it's that marathon, not a sprint metaphor. It's like, but it's also like, Hey, like it's okay to have a pit stop. It's just not deciding. I'm not going to get back on the road and do this. It's, it's submitting it to God, submitting it to the, you know, so I just, I feel like this is such an important piece because what you said earlier too is we are in a critical moment and the challenge is ahead. It's always been challenging being a pastor. Yeah. Um, but there's a reason why I think sovereignly God is turning our eyes to the global church, not just the Western church, because yep. the global church has been, been doing church and leadership under challenges. Um, I don't think we're persecuted. I think we're just not loved and affirmed like we've experienced in the past, but we're looking at those who have experienced persecution and our eyes are being turned that way because I do think there are challenging days ahead. And some of the challenges are within even other pastors, you know, criticizing. And so it's just for us to kind of, to get reacquainted with our calling, to remember why we did this, to, to recommit to the marathon, not the sprint. 
and then what you said, but also to hold it lightly. I think that's what's been so profound. There's something about this that allows us to stay in it, but hold it differently. So it's like, it's like I'm taking this more seriously than ever. And yet I'm prepared to let it go, which is, there's something about that that is so unique um, and feels so healthy. And uh, I'm personally going from this conversation and in my heart right now, Lord, I believe, I believe you called me, help me live with the authority and the courage mm-hmm. as one who's called to build a church in Canada, mm-hmm. God, help me do it in love, make me healthy. You know, those are, that's, what's going on in my heart right now. And I really love, you know, as we just come near the end, I love how you talk about marathon versus sprint. There's a, there's a fragility and there is um, a lack of perseverance Mm. that is just profoundly concerning to me. Um, And it's not just a generational bias thing. Um, You know, our prayer needs to be that people are called and that they understand that uh, calling is going to be worked out over a long period of time. It's not instantaneous and it's not quick. Uh, it's actually much more apprentice-based than it is mm. consumeristic. Mm. And if you know, I don't know if you, I think you love sushi. I think you do or do you not? I forget. I don't. I'm so sorry. Oh, yeah, I'm, yeah, it's okay. You're not I the forget. only guest that brings this up because I'm in Vancouver. Anyone international is like, yeah. you must love sushi. And then yeah. I just, I watch their heart just get broken. Yeah. When I say See, I don't. It, yeah. We'll talk about deliverance next time. There's freedom for you from this issue. Don't worry. We'll, we'll help you in the next book. No, no. But like, I, I was, I was going to say like, um, if you, you know, if you just talk to people who do sushi, right? Like it years of just doing rice yeah. years, Jiro dreams of sushi. It's the best just years but but why that's so important is because when people suddenly realize they're calling then they want the stage Hmm. and it's like years you know how people always quote you know uh, paul to timothy you know don't look down on those who are young which by the way was a very profound affirmation for me in my 20s and because i was doing more in my 20s than a lot of other 20s were doing but most scholars think timothy was like 40 when paul said that not 16 right like all i'm trying to say is like it's got to be for the long run it's it's not sexy it's faithfulness over fame right it it's it's progress over platform and it's and it's just this idea that we we need long term uh, plow plowing in this country and beyond to make a difference and here's the truth jay in scripture, much of the time, those who are faithful never see the fruit. Mm. It's two generations later, five generations later. Moses didn't go in the promised land, but Joshua did. Mm. Things like that. In other words, our culture says, I am m- me, the self-exalted I is what matters the most. And calling theology says no actually he matters the most his voice matters the most his agenda matters the most and actually the results might not be experienced uh, you might you might not get hearts and likes in this lifetime for it mm. well john i am so grateful for the chat today um more things i'd like to say but i'm going to fight the temptation to comment or ask more questions for the sake of time um yeah. anything you want to anything you want to mention before we wrap up 
No, I just, uh, can I just, if you wouldn't mind, can I just pray for yeah, I love that. all of us? Yeah. yeah. You know, um, uh, I was writing a sermon earlier, Jesus, today. You know this out of Esther. And, you know, I wrote down the phrase for the, the church that I'm leading right now. Um, when is the last time you said out loud, I've been placed by the living God in Canada for such a time as this? Now, I'm here. There's a lot of us listening to this right now, Jesus, in all sorts of places, trying to discover our calling, about to give up. Some have given up. Some are hiding in secret sin. Others are, are it's assured, but it's still trouble. Here's our prayer. Jay and I just simply pray, Lord, have mercy on us. Mm-hmm. Make calling clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, make it long. Make it authoritative in the biblical sense. Baptize and fill your, your pastors and priests with love that we can't invent by our own strength. Uh, Prepare us to give over the reins right when you tell us without hesitation, help us to be ready to acknowledge how interim we are. And we just pray for people that are called to be affirmed. And then as Jay and I were saying earlier before this moment, Jesus in in your name, Father and Son, send the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. to raise up so many more men and women who are called uh, to lead this church in this very uh, interesting tipping point. Uh, thanks that you're sovereign. That's what we've got. That's what we sit with in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm super grateful for John's time, spending time with us, sharing his heart. And I know for many people, uh, a conversation like this raises questions uh, about calling. Um, maybe the best way you could respond would be to call another brother or sister who's in church ministry or someone you trust and to pray together and to ask for God to refresh your sense of calling and ministry. And I think it also just reminds us the need to encourage one another who are serving in churches across Canada. Maybe there's someone you could think to text and just remind them what you see in them and to keep on going. And I want to thank you guys for listening today. We're so grateful for the growing community of people who are part of the Church Leaders Network who listen each week. Please stay in touch. Have an awesome rest of your summer, and we'll see you soon. Well, hi, everyone. Today, it is so awesome to be interviewing uh, this incredible couple from the East Coast as I'm here stationed in the West Coast. And so I just want you guys to introduce yourselves. Tell us who you are. Cool. Uh, we're Andrew and Chantal Beresford. Yes. Uh, we're the pastors of Serve City Church in the greater Toronto area. Uh, just turned four years old and um, just really excited about what God is doing. And we have three kids, 12, 11, and a five-year-old that was born on New Year's Eve. So she's our party baby. So we've been married uh, 15 years this year. So it's been an amazing journey to do life together on this amazing journey of church planting. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about that journey. How did you end up in ministry? How did you end up planting a church four years ago in, in Toronto in the GTA? Yeah, so we grew up here in in the GTA area and left when we were 17, 18 years old, went over to the States, you know, and went to school there, you know, met up and got connected there in the States, essentially two Canadians connecting there and um, starting our lives together there, started our family there, entered ministry there. And God always put in our heart Mm -hmm. when we got together and when, especially when we got married, that you know, after seven years, that was kind of the prophetic word that was was on our lives, mm-hmm. that we would end up coming back home to Toronto. Um, and 
and planting a church in the greater Toronto area. And so literally, even, you know, the, the crazy thing is that after time went by and ministry was going well and all of that sorts of stuff, it slipped our mind um, about the word that was given to us. And, you know, it took my wife's best friend to actually, rem- you know, trigger that, um, the remembrance of that, you know, word that God gave us. And when we looked up, we were like, whoa, it's seven years. Yeah. And so we sold everything that we had. Drove 43 <laughs> hours from California with two kids and I was 12 weeks pregnant to Toronto and started our lives back home. We never yeah. lived in our adult lives in Toronto. We've never. always lived in the U.S. So it was definitely a, uh, people thought us planting a church in Toronto was going to be easy because we're from here, but mm-hmm. we were gone for 14 years. Absolutely. So it wasn't, we started a church with nobody we mm-hmm. knew and we built it from there. By God's grace. Yep. What do you love the most about what you are doing? What What do you love the most about this? Because I know church planting is hard, oh, yeah. and it's, this is not easy ground. This is not easy at all. Plus, now we have entered into a pandemic. Plus, it's a real diverse area. Like, there's so many things that are 14 years later. It's a very different looking city than when you left. Um, what What is What do you love the most about doing this? I think it's learning people's story and able to journey with them. Like something that we have adopted at our churches do not do life alone. And we really mean it. Mm -hmm. And it's been phenomenal to see people that never went to church before, or didn't go to church for a long time to see them grow in their faith, to make the decision, to get baptized, to have the best part is to see people that, you know, mm-hmm. met at church, get married and Absolutely. have children. It's just been great to journey with them through the different um, seasons of life. Absolutely. Doing what life is, together is amazing. Yeah, go for it. Mm-hmm. Go for it. What does it look like for your family? What does it look, what does this look like for you? Yeah, for us, I mean, the way that we look at ministry, sometimes people feel like burdened by their children or they're Mm -hmm. like, oh, my gosh, I can't do this because of my children. It feels like um, children are limitations or a burden or a challenge. And for us, we don't feel that God just calls a man or a woman, but we feel like he calls households, you know, to ministry and to be on mission. And so for us, we love that our children are engaged in this mission, like our our, our uh, boys, you know, when they were younger and we were getting ready to launch the church, um, you know, our son, Noah, like we love that they go to public school because they're able to be in that environment where they're not around people. And again, not a knock against Christian education by any means, but being in an environment where they are able to stand out and everyone's not like them mm-hmm. and they can actually be on mission. So when we were getting started, my, my son ended up, you know, meeting someone and was my middle son, Noah, and was, became a friend of his. We found out that, you know, he was one of our neighbors mm-hmm. and it was amazing because he's inviting his friend to church, inviting his friend to church for the launch. His, you know, his dad ends up bringing him to church um, you know, for the launch and was coming after a while and ends up giving his life to the Lord, mm-hmm. you know, and I just think it's powerful. And then the dad goes on and invites people to church who end up getting baptized and stuff as well. And so it's powerful how our household, like our kids have embraced, mm-hmm. you know, this mission that God has given us and he's using them to not only reach young people, but also even, um, you know, the older generation. And I mm-hmm. think stuff like that is just powerful to see multi-generational impact for the gospel's sake. That's incredibly encouraging. Uh, I, 
we love to hear your thoughts and hope and prayer for the church in Canada because you could have stayed outside of Canada, but God called you to this nation to plant a church and reach that community. So tell us, what is, what is your hope and prayer for the church in Canada? One thing we always say is, especially in Toronto, it's the most strategic place to um, to reach the nations of the world. Absolutely. With so many diverse people here, multi-racial um, and ethnic, and we really believe that you know God can use anybody from any walks of life for ministry. Yeah, like for me, I just absolutely in agreement with everything my wife is saying. And I would say like, for me, when I left Toronto, I had lost my mind. I spoke, I smoked what we now know as laced marijuana Mm -hmm. and um, lost my mind. I was having severe panic attacks, um, hallucinations, you know, for years, I couldn't even drive in a car for more than 15 minutes without my whole body starting to shake. And I had to get out and plant myself on the side of the road. It was just absolutely insane when I left here. And so for me personally, it was um, kind of a Saul to Paul type of a deal where I was honored to have the opportunity to come back home in the place where I did things, you know, where I lost my mind and, and I felt so hopeless that I could come back and now bring hope to this place by the grace of God. And so I have real hope for this nation. There are other people just like me. And, you know, and I, and I believe that the, the gospel is needed, especially in this crazy time. And I love to see lives transformed just as Jesus transformed my life. And so that's my hope for the church. I want to add to that. I also feel that it's an opportunity to build, dig wells in this hard ground. And mm-hmm. I feel you cannot dig enough wells Amen. of hope, of living water for people that need the truth and need God's word. So good. So good. Amazing. God bless you. God bless Serve City. We are excited to just celebrate what you are doing in this country. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having us. Really appreciate it.